Um, Psalm 16 is about coping with death, and I'm here to help us cope with death. Um, this is a Miktam Psalms, and there's six, six with that title, and they're all really about coping with death, all right? And now you're thinking, well, this is going to be a heavy one, but don't you find if death is a massive problem and you solve that problem, you should leave here really happy and joyful and a bit like that sunny picture, because your biggest problem has been solved. Um, Steve Jobs, the Apple founder, said, remembering that I will be dead soon is the most important tool I've encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment and failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. So I think this can be a joyful sermon this morning. <clears throat> and as our, our job as church is to go out and show a world that's worried about death and not ready for death, that we are. And there's a weight off our shoulders. The world needs this church to be death ready because the world's not. All right, so we're all in this from the youngest to the oldest. Now here's the complicated bit, but the children will get it. This psalm was written by King David about 3,000 years ago. But he's writing about somebody else. He's not really talking about himself. He's talking about what someone else would go through about 1,000 years after him. Someone else that's going to have to cope with death. And it's really about when death is looming over the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about what he goes through. Loads of people in the Old Testament talk about their Messiah and what he's going to go through. And they sort of use their own situations in life a little bit, but only to really connect with him and what he's going to go through, because that's the important one. Okay? So David's legging it from Saul at the moment. They've had some problems. But really, he writes this thing about how am I going to cope with impending death? Oh, yeah, my Messiah. Let's think about him. Uh, Job does it too. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Whatever I'm going through, I know that I'm going to see him one day with my eyes. That's the big one. It's all, my suffering's just pointing me to my Messiah. Right? And the whiz kids among you in the room, this is still a complicated bit, um, have probably read Acts chapter 2, where Peter is explaining the death and resurrection of Jesus. And guess what psalm he quotes? 16. And he says, we all know he was going to rise. Let me explain it. Because Psalm 16 says, there's a Lord that calls out to his Lord and says, don't abandon me when I'm in the realm of death. Make sure my body won't decay. Jesus' body didn't decay, did it? David's did. But Jesus' was back in three days. Um, he says, David's body's still in the ground in Acts chapter 2, but the Lord's body never decayed, which is in Psalm 16. And then he says this, Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of death, nor did his body ever see decay. So that's the complicated bit, children. You made it through. Psalm 16 and Acts chapter 2 show us how Jesus handles the problem of death, which is coming to us all, and we all need someone to handle this for us. So are you ready for that day. If you are ready, on what basis do you think you can handle that big problem? 
So therefore, I say again, welcome to Park End Church on this lovely summer star morning. Here's a fact. Death is hanging over us all. And it's a problem. And the Bible says death is, and eternal death, is God's divinely appointed judgment over sin. That's how terrible sin is. It has to be banished. And anyone who carries it has to be banished. Can't be anywhere near heaven. Anywhere near life. And anybody who's got sin dies. Because sin is so bad it separates us from God. Like, because he's life, like a tree that gets axed down by um, the webs. There you go, cut that down in the garden. What happens to it once it's separated from its life source in the ground? It withers and it dies because you're cut off from the life source. And so we as humans, because of sin, are cut off like a tree and we're heading to this problem of death. And God has to judge it and banish it because he's not a corrupt judge. He's got to get rid of that nasty stuff. And left to ourselves, we cannot escape this problem. You can cope with it in different ways, but you can't escape it. Where I used to live in the valleys, we would drink, they would drink it away. Just drink, drink. All life's problems, I'd never have to think about them. But it still arrives. Here, because people are healthier here, they live longer, they jog it away. And if they go around Rothe Park every day trying to attain eternal life every single day. Um, but it's coming, whether you're a drinker or you're a jogger. I told you Woody Allen's famous quote, um, I don't want to be there when it happens, uh, about his death. It's coming. You can jog and you can drink, but it's coming. And at the moment, we're quite good at making death be quiet, push it into the cupboard somewhere, um, compared to the generations before, where they had to face it a lot. Um, in the 17th century, I've been reading about, uh, the British minister and theologian John Owen, he outlived every one of his 11 children and his first wife. And people used to die where they lived. So he literally saw every person he ever loved die in front of his eyes in his house. I also read this. In colonial times, the average family in the USA lost one out of three children before adulthood. And the average lifespan was 40 years old, so loads of children would see their, their parents die. So nearly everyone used to grow up seeing corpses and watching relatives die young and old. But today, because of medicine and science, um, we've been relieved of loads of causes of early death. And we say thank God for that, don't we? And because of hospitals and hospices, people often now decay and die out of our living rooms. Yet, it's still a problem, isn't it? It's still coming. We can't cope with it. And it's frightening because it's final in one way. And Jesus said, after this short little world, you go to an eternal world, one of two places, forever and ever and ever. The realm of death or the realm of life. And you'll be locked in. So it's, this is big now. Because God is eternal, he deals with eternal, eternity. That's his like currency. 
sometimes forever hits me. Does it ever hit you? And you, you just get a little whiff of forever and ever and ever and never. Does it ever hit you like that? And I'm like, wow, no sin in my life is worth clinging on to for that, like forever. It's just not worth it. And yet, we've got quite a bright picture this morning. Why? Because for David, because of Jesus, it's not as scary as we might think. And we are to trust in that same Messiah that David was writing about. And then for us, it's not as scary as we might think. Some of my minister friends say, during lockdown, some of the most frightened people of death and getting COVID were Christians. And don't take this the wrong way, because we're not to be blasé about our health and obeying the rules. But I was thinking, well, why are we the most frightened ones of death? Because even if it gets us, we're okay in the end. That's what we're about. Our problem has been sorted. We should be out there going, hey, it might happen, but it's all right. If you're in Jesus, the living God, death can't touch us. Not really. So it's not as scary as you might think. Um, at home, I've got a Labrador. And um, she's naughty. And she eats everything. She has a hunger which is never satisfied. In fact, she swiped my croissant this morning. Um, honestly, I've never known anything like it. And... Um, but I remember once she was gobbling something down and there was like a little bit of salad tucked in at the bottom and she didn't know that. So she gobbled everything down and then she spat back out, out the salad. That's telling, isn't it? Well, that's another sermon. The, the salad came back out on the kitchen floor and um, spit it out. Now death, according to David and uh, Jesus, is like, like a fat Labrador whose appetite is never satisfied. It's a massive whopper of a problem until it chewed on someone who it just had to spit back out. And we'll get to who that is in a minute. And it like wasn't used to this kind of caliber of person. Oh, this person's really... I've got nothing on this one. And out it comes on the third day. And... Uh, and... And anyone who's connected to this one that got spat out gets spat out too, because we're with him. First, it'll be our souls, and then later, we, it even spits our bodies back to us in a better way. Pretty gross illustration, that one, wasn't it? But you were listening. Um, each day, each day is one less day to sort this problem of death out. And today's a glorious morning to really get this one sorted. Jesus has carved a path through it, and we will end up where he is if we're following him. Now, you're like, all right, Owen, was, was that actually me knowing practice? So for the last parts of this relatively shorter, punchy sermon, um, I'm just going to rifle through a couple of these verses in Psalm 16, so we really know practically what it is to be safe in the arms of Jesus when this day comes for us, okay? And now, I'm going to reread verse 1. Remember now, this is really what Jesus is saying and praying and going through. 
Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. So there's Jesus trusting his Father God. And we do that too. Trust God with this day, with your life and with your death. Some of you are frightened. And it is frightening to a degree. So the mission for us is to say, Lord, I don't know what's coming my way. I don't even think I'm ready. But help. Help. I trust that you're in control and I'm placing myself under you like a chick under the hen's wings. See, the fear of God is the beginning of life and wisdom, not the fear of death. Don't fear death. There's no wisdom in that. Fear the Father. Be in awe that he's got me whatever I'm going through. Here's verse 2. I'm going to read this one as well. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I've got no good thing. Even Jesus depends on his Father for all goodness. So the message now there is, don't be independent from God when your time to die comes. That's how you'll cope with it. Don't be independent from God in life or in death. Here, the psalmist is saying, apart from you, I've got nothing. I need you. Now, a friend of mine, his neighbor died a couple of months ago, around the corner. They had a lovely friendship, but the neighbor was independent from God. So they would talk about the weather, the cars, the food, but whenever my friend would get to what he did on the weekend, and he mentioned church, and this lovely neighbor went like this. And that was the cue to stop talking. This. No, thank you. I'm independent from God. Don't talk to me about church or God. And then what happened was, so we do this over the wall in the garden. That's it. No, thank you. Then what happened is to this lovely neighbor, he suddenly got struck with an illness and he died. And so the big question there is, what God, what life plan, what philosophy, what power of goodness helped him in that moment? Because this text says, Lord, apart from you, I got nothing. There's nothing to help me here. On the flip side, a few days ago, my other friend, he's got a sister, and she died in her 20s. And he tells me, she lived large parts of her life independent from God, didn't trust in him, but yet in those last moments she had cancer, she cried out, Lord, help me. Lord, remember me. And in that moment, she would have received the life of God. Remember me. I got nothing. I need you. So I don't know if you're 100 years old here this morning. Um, if you've never trusted in the Lord, you can now. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening at home, to trust in the Lord. He loves to save. He loves to save this much. Here's verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. There's the Lord saying, the saints, church, I love them. I love them so much I'm going to go through this for them. Jesus loves you. He's died for you. He's risen for you. He even goes to the cross for you. This psalm says, I love church so much I'm going through this for them. A couple more and we're done. Here's verse 4. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. That's a strange one. Some people say to me this, Owen, what's God ever done for me? 
What's God ever done for me? In fact, someone said that to me last week, and I didn't let them get off the hook. So I pointed at their car, said, that's an expensive car. Where'd you get that from? This is a nice little work environment you've got, which you're able to work, and you're fit and healthy. And we went one by one through this person's life, or all the things God has done for them. However, even more than being able to buy a car, here is the Lord saying, I'm pouring myself out for people. Not for some false God, but for the living God. Jesus is like this wine offering. That's what the text says there. Just being poured out for people into death so it never feeds on us. And if you pour a wine offering out in the Old Testament on the fire, it ain't coming back. It's going all in. And he's doing it because he loves to save. So friends, when it comes to living and dying, you are all pouring your life out into some hope to cope, to some way, to some philosophy, to something to get through. All of them will let us down when we need it the most other than this one who has poured himself all the way through it and he pulls us through with him. What are you living for? Here's my last few words. Verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Jesus is with his Father now, with all the saints, experiencing eternal pleasures. Friends, if I die over the summer, you can say at my funeral, he's in heaven now. He's having eternal pleasures with the other saints of Park End that have gone before him. And it's not because of any goodness of himself, because he was a wicked sinner. It's because of Jesus and his goodness given to Owen. So if I go to Pembrokeshire and a cow kills me, you can say with absolute certainty that Owen is safe in the arms of Jesus because of Psalm 16. Death could not decay him. I'm just clinging on. And if you can say it of me, of all people, you can certainly say it of you. Um, if we leave here really realizing that that is true of us, you'll say the middle bit of the psalm, which I ran out of time to talk about, and it's like my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I'm secure. I'm happy. The Lord is with me. So, Jesus fixed his eyes on his father. That's how he handled death. Jesus tells you to fix your eyes on him. And then he says, when you do that, the father will move in with you as well. Package deal, safe in the arms of Jesus, death defeated. Let's sing a glorious hymn of triumph. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.